Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. Brooke is my neighbor. She's one of my closest friends. I, well, you can't start crying already. <laughs> I know. I'm just so proud of you. This is like so cool. But now I'm like, aw. Oh, I love you so much. We're going to need Kleenex for sure. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I meant to bring that out here. Well, no, it's okay. We'll pause we'll after see, we get, We'll see how we do. Yeah. We'll pause after a bit and get some. But I remember distinctly when I moved to the neighborhood and the women who like reached out to me right away and you were one, it was that national night out and you came up to me and you introduced yourself and you were super sweet. And I was like, oh, and you lived right on the corner. I was like, oh, she's not even that many houses away from me. This is going to be super fun. And I felt like in no time at all, we just started texting daily. (laughs) Went from Daily, high- every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it went from, hi, nice to meet you, to, um, you're now part of my village. Which... I don't remember that national night out party. Oh. It's all like a blurred, blurred together. I feel like my, ex- uh, my experience was opposite. And then I was like, who is this that bought my friend's house? <laughs> and I'm not going to like her. <laughs> that was my initial, like, we're not going to be friends. Because oh, yeah. My friend moved out. And then it was like. Oh, crap. Now we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) I had big shoes to fill um, because the schoolies were friends with uh, like all you guys, very close friends and uh, obviously still are. And it's like, I feel like I constantly have to do that in my life. Like I, with teaching, I would come into a position where it was a teacher who was very well loved by the students, especially when I was teaching in Princeton and a teacher who I absolutely adore Everybody called her Ash. Everybody knew her. Everybody loved her. And I came into that classroom and I was like, the kids realized very quickly, I am not Ash. And that was a total disappointment for them initially because she was very good at what she did. She commanded the classroom. She had like this dramatic voice and could read stories like she was on stage. And that's just not me. You guys, for those of you who tune in, you know that my voice is (laughs) pretty soothing, could be a little monotonous at times. And so that was super overwhelming for me. But as I think one of my strengths are my woo strength, and I like to win people over, maybe that's why I taught in alternative schools for so long because I would get these kids who were, you know, very tough exteriors and didn't want to like me. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to crack this one. and (laughs) I'm going to find the gooey inside. And, and I always would. And they were so sweet. So yeah, even though you didn't want to like me at first, I eventually I gotcha. You did. We we became best friends. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then that was in 2018. And then your journey and what we really want to dive into today is about grief because I think especially in the Midwest, I think totally in our culture, we don't do well with grief. We don't do well with loss, but really in the Midwest, I think, and I feel like I'm always throwing Midwest under the, <laughs> like, it's like the Minnesota under, nice, like we're just too nice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that like Scandinavian lack of communication. Mm. And so I think there's so much more that we could learn that we need to be talking about that we don't talk about. And so in whatever way you want to share, 
I want to just have you let the audience know what happened that started this journey for you. Yeah. Gosh. So 2018. Well, and you're so you're totally right. Like grief, you don't know until you know. And it's super unfortunate that that's how you learn about it, right? Is to like have something happen to you where you're having to deal with grief. So until, so my husband passed away, Andrew, in 2020. But prior to that, he was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma. So super rare form of liver cancer. Um, and it was like a long journey. Uh, I think it was 18 months that he battled that. And during that whole kind of, you know, process of him getting treatment and this and that, we were always so positive, like, he's going to beat this. He's, you know, we didn't really ever talk about, like, him not beating it as an option. Like, it was just never in our heads. And I don't know, I think there's parts of that are that we wanted to stay positive. And then there's other parts that like, that wasn't an option. So, so we never talked about it. And then he passed away in March of 2020, which was at the start of the COVID pandemic, when things started to get really, really bad in the US. So that kind of added a whole nother layer into the entire grief process and just kind of how things happened after that. Mm -hmm. I, I remember, you know, we were in constant communication leading up to that and you were keeping all of us, you know, posted. And I remember seeing you shortly after that. And it was, if you all recall, this was at the time in the pandemic where people were encouraged to stay six feet apart, to not hug, to not touch and I remember Gary and I seeing you and Gary said, can we give you a hug? <laughs> and to think of, you know, that time, how isolating it was for everybody, but to be experiencing that in the wake of that isolation was so unfair and super rough. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember so many points of even just being in the hospital right after he passed away and his oncologist who we became super close with, like I had been walking down the hall and she heard he passed away. So she was walking towards me and, you know, stopped six feet away. And I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do. Right. Like my husband just passed away and like, I can't like hug her. I can't. Well, I asked her, like, I wanted to give her a hug, right? And she, like, couldn't give me a hug. And it's that, like, you know, like, this is such a strange time. I think there was another instance. My sister and brother-in-law, niece and nephew, had just flown back from Arizona, and they were there when Andrew passed away. And they came and were standing in the yard and uh, had candles lit but like didn't come to the door to hug us or anything. And oh, this is, uh, <laughs> sorry. No. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of grief being held in, right? Like I didn't, like everybody's journey, I think with grief is different. And I definitely didn't follow like the, a normal path that, 
you know, someone passes away, people visit, you hug, you, you know, have a funeral, you do all those things. And we didn't get to do that. So it's like stuff, you kind of hold stuff in or stuff gets, you know, built up. in. so even when it, three years and we talk about it now and it's so fresh, right? Like just very, um, it's just very, it's still very raw that it happened that the way that it did. Yeah. And obviously grief is a journey and it's not something you get over or just, you know, it sticks with you always and it's up and downs and some days are better than others. And, but for you not being able to go through a lot of those initial processes with your loved ones, because we are all so separated and, you know, we didn't really separate like <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh tax camp confession we did not stay six <laughs> feet apart we had neighborhood driveway parties yeah we, i mean <laughs> yeah yeah we well and we were all essentially in this quarantine in this area together anyways and yeah. years later we can now look back and look at how ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> so ridiculous like, yeah and it, it's it's so frustrating that that was our reality when you were going through all of this yeah i i mean not to say that i would have processed it differently but i think there's definitely i don't think i'd feel still so strongly about just like some of those moments because of how things happen like just being so secluded for I would say for a solid two or three weeks after he passed away, it was very secluded, just very nobody was going outside, nobody knew what was happening. So it was, um, yeah, it really was the height of everything, yeah. So there was just a lot of alone time, right? And instead of processing the grief, it was kind of pushed back out of your mind, right? It was, he was gone and he passed away, but we weren't dealing with the fact that he was gone and we passed away because uh, we were homeschooling our kids. We were, you know, so I think a lot of those emotions and feelings really just got pushed very deep into, into a place that, you know, just, they just needed to be for a while. And Definitely wasn't good <laughs> not to talk about, but I think it just, it was what it, it was what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. So And well, and that time was such a blur for everybody. It was a groundhog's day. It was like so disconnected from reality. I think everybody was experiencing that part of it. And so to add that layer, it was like, what even feels real right now? What is like, what is even happening? Yeah. Because everything was shut down, there were very few people that were allowed to visit him at the end, right? Yeah. yeah so I was able to go to the hospital. I sent him to the hospital because he was really not feeling well and there wasn't a whole lot I could do anymore for him. So his dad took him to the hospital and had to drop him off at the door because you weren't allowed to go in just with everything with the pandemic. And so he went in and they put him in. He was like in the emergency room kind of a situation. And 
I had texted with him a little bit and they had him like kind of in like an intensive care area trying to figure out why he wasn't feeling well, what was going wrong. So then the next morning he called me at it was like 6 or 7 a.m. And he said, you know, just that the doctors didn't think they were going to be able to do anything and that his um, he had these stints in his liver and they had become infected um, and the stints were helping get all the bile out of his liver and the doctors couldn't get to the stints. And so, and this is just me and him talking, right? And he's scared and I'm like, well, we'll talk to the doctors at the U, like we'll figure out a plan. I'll call everyone I need to, to, you know, figure out what we're going to do. And so that was kind of my morning. And I had texted him a few times in the, and he wasn't answering his phone anymore. And so I'd call the nurse's station, couldn't get a hold of anyone. And so I kind of like checked his charts to see what was happening. And he was transferred out of like the intensive care area. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is good. Like he's, you know, things are getting better. This is good. But he wasn't texting me back. And so, you know, I figured either he was sleeping or just busy. And I got a call from the doctor the next day, his oncologist and, you know, saying that I should come down and that he wasn't going to make it. <laughs> Um, she, the way she described it, it was just a, a perfect storm of all these things happening. And she was very surprised even, um, because his treatments that he was doing for his cancer were actually like starting to work. Like they were finally working. His numbers were going down, but Nobody really tells you, like, you have cancer, like, great, you have cancer, you do these treatments, all the complications that can happen or come with cancer and all these extra things or other things um, that happen. So he ended up passing away from sepsis because of the complications with the cancer. So, so she was, you know, we, he was still alive when the doctor called, but said I basically needed to get down to the hospital right away. But because of COVID, only one other person was allowed to come with me. So I called his parents and his mom came down to the hospital. So we were both down there sitting with him. And when I got there, you know, it kind of looked like he was sleeping. And I talked to him and his eyes would open. And so he was still aware enough that if I could get his attention or wake him up, he knew I was there and he could kind of talk a little bit or like, you know, make small talk. And then he'd close his eyes again. And, you know, then he'd kind of just be like out or out of it. Um, we eventually got approval for his dad to bring the kids down. So at this point, the kids knew he was sick, but we had never talked to the extent of like, you know, what was going on or what was wrong because it all happened so fast and he was going to be, you know, his treatments were working and he was going to be okay. So to go from that as a kid to he's not, you know, not going to wake up. The kids came down to visit him. They drew him pictures. <laughs> we were able to wake him up enough that, you know, he knew the kids were there and you know talked a little bit yeah they they left and I stayed 
with him. I think his mom left later that evening and they rolled a bed next to his bed. And I stayed with him. I played music, like (laughs) his favorite songs uh, for him. And then some of his friends wrote letters to him. And so I read those letters to him since nobody could come um, say goodbye. So that was definitely a challenge. But did that, um, I think by eight o'clock that night. So this was all like between like noon and four by eight o'clock that night, he stopped um, like responding, like he wouldn't wake up or talk anymore. So I was adamant though, that we needed to keep doing his he was getting nutrition through an IV and I was adamant that we should keep, keep that going, that something was going to change and he was going to be fine and he'd wake up in the morning. So we kept doing his IV nutrition and in the morning, the doctor came and, you know, basically said, we need to stop the nutrition. Like it was my call, but that it's, he's not going to get better and he's not going to wake up. So he'd kind of, yeah gotten to that point so i um called his mom and dad i think maybe one thirty or 2 in the morning because his breathing had started to get really really hard and so i kind of panicked so i called them and they came back in the middle of the night and we all just kind of laid in there and slept with him for the night and the morning the kids facetimed <laughs> Or Weston FaceTimed him. Um, And I think it was my mom who, you know, told him that I had my mom tell him he wasn't going to make it. But she had him write him a letter. um, And he did. It was such a beautiful letter. I wish I could remember all of it. He wrote him a letter. He read it out loud to him over FaceTime. And at the end of the letter, he said... It's okay. It's okay to go to heaven now. Dad will be okay. It was something like that. And he said, just go to the beach and I'll um, just go to the beach so that we know where to find you when we come meet you in heaven. Um, and a couple minutes after that, he uh, stopped breathing. Um so I really feel like he heard Weston and, you know, decided, okay, I'm everyone's going to be okay and I'm going to go to the beach. <sighs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to get some more Kleenex. <laughs> oh, I just need a second. After he, you know, after he passed away, I kind of... Like, he wasn't there anymore for me, right? It was, I need to be out of here. I don't want to be in this room anymore. Like, I just want to go home and be with the kids. So I left pretty, pretty quickly, I'd say, after after he had passed away. But it just wasn't him anymore. And I think that's a lot of it, too, is that he hadn't been Andrew for quite a while before he passed away. Not that that made it easier, but... The grieving process had already started. Right. Like, it just wasn't... It wasn't him. And 
that was around and and not not to his fault right it was just it wasn't him and it had been a really long time since the kids had seen right like like him being his silly goofy right laughing self so i definitely you know was in a different place than when he was first first diagnosed it was just a long 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 struggle with that and how soon after was it that you started to feel signs so i really want to talk about the ways in which he showed up after he had crossed over because it's so real and it's so remarkable and it's so affirming that once we leave this earth we're not done yeah i i mean within days like my first very like real moment with it was I wasn't sleeping like I couldn't sleep at all so I would sometimes get up out of bed at like two or three o'clock in the morning and I'd go downstairs and either I'd go downstairs and either be watching tv or you know I like to organize so I'd be like let's organize all these papers and I dump out all these papers in the middle of the um, floor and watch TV while I organize papers. And so there was one, one point I was organizing his medical papers. Like he had all these, whether it's just like insurance, like claims or thing, you know, that we would get. And I was like, I need to sort through these and like put them all in a folder and stuff. So I'm sitting on the ground doing that, watching TV. And I felt like, I all of a sudden felt like almost like a hand on my shoulder. Like I felt this like sensation, like tingling, like like somebody was there next to me. Like he was there with his hand on my shoulder, like helping me through that process. And I just like took my hand and I put it on my shoulder, like on top of where his hand was. Like it was so, it was just like such a real moment where it was like, he, he's here and, and I could tell. So that was the first. Wow. I don't know if I remember <laughs> that one. Yeah. That was, it was a, a couple days maybe okay. um, after. So I very vividly remember that, but you know, since then, um, there's been like just little things like light flickering or cardinals. We, we see cardinals a lot and in very, um, very specific times where it's like not a normal pattern of a cardinal. Like we were in a pool in Florida and one jumped onto the pool deck and like walked towards Hayden while she's like swimming in the pool. And I was like, does anybody else see that the, this, this cardinal is literally like hopping towards Hayden in the pool? That's not like a normal, like usually if there's movement and stuff, they'll like fly away. Right. So then I turned into like the crazy lady but with my camera, like following around these birds, like <laughs> videoing, like, um, 
Oh, did what? Didn't another woman say something? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the cardinal got up and like flew like out to like a tree outside of the pool area. So I like get up with my phone and I'm like walking through the gate and like trying to find this bird videoing on my camera and this cute little old lady like walks by, kind of looks at me weird, and I was I was like, oh, I'm just there's a cardinal flying around and my husband passed away and I think it's him. So I was like, <laughs> and she was, she was just like very like, this is normal, like a normal <laughs> thing that people do. But then she said, she's like, Oh, I've, I've lived here for, I don't know how long. And I've never once seen a cardinal here. And it was, so it's just like wow. weird little things like that. And that cardinal is, he comes around all the time. Yes. He was in Arizona with us. He, we went to lots of trips. Like we were in South Carolina and I went to go for a run and there was just a cardinal right on the telephone wire, like as I was starting to run. And I was like, what? I didn't know that there were cardinals in, you know, mm-hmm. South Carolina, like just like weird um, places. Christmas morning, we were opening presents. There was one outside the window. So, but wasn't I, there one like kind of like dancing at outside <laughs> at your parents? Yeah. So at my parents, when they were working from home and my mom was in the kitchen and she looked out the window and there was like, a cardinal like up on the ledge like staring at her through the window and so she was like oh my god so she like goes over to the window well then the cardinal flew down to the ground and she's like you would not even believe it she didn't have her phone so she couldn't record it but she's like there was a cardinal and then there was a squirrel and then there was another bird and they were all just like bopping around together like down on the ground in front of her house and she starts like screaming for my dad who's downstairs working because she's like nobody's gonna believe me that this is actually like happening and uh you know just like yeah he's you know just hanging out with his friends like yep. bouncing around so dancing like andrew would uh, exactly so that's where and you know those are things like I definitely have moments where things make me sad or upset or I'll cry, right, of certain things happen. But, like, things like that, those, like, make me smile or laugh, right? Like, it's – I don't get sad when I see a cardinal. It turns into, like, this, we need to, like, video what the cardinal's doing for, like, 10 minutes. (laughs) Stop everyone and watch everything and watch the cardinal or chase it around outside. Right. Well, didn't you have a, uh, one of the intuitives that we work with? Didn't she say something about he's going to... Didn't who? Didn't somebody, like an intuitive or something? Yeah, yeah. So I, the well, through my kind of, when Andrew was sick, you had introduced me to Vanessa, who this was before he was even sick and had done some meditations with her at an event. And then after Andrew passed away, her and I connected and I did a couple of meditations. And um, during this, or one of our first ones after Andrew passed away, the topic of a bird came up and that he was, you know, he's he thought he was funny because he's like, basically was like showing Vanessa like he's this big, strong you know, like guy, and then he's this like teeny tiny little bird, and like just the way Vanessa like brought the conversation up 
Andrew was a funny person. He just made jokes about himself or he just, he was just funny. And so Vanessa would just start like laughing while we're, you know, having this session because he kept, I don't know, saying or doing things like that would make her laugh. And so it was like, I, yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's him. So he confirmed, but sometimes it's not always a cardinal like we just like it could just be a bird if there's like weird unusual like bird patterns where it's like a bird doesn't normally do that it might not necessarily be a cardinal but most of the time it it has been (laughs) yeah yeah i remember it was pretty recently where we were on a walk and it was like what are all those birds doing (laughs) over there and it was like yeah it was it's like you said it's like abnormal bird behavior that (laughs) makes you stop and look like huh yeah yeah, there I, you are. When Hayden went for the bus yesterday, and it's freezing outside, but I opened the door just to make sure the bus actually like took the kids, and I like paused because I could hear these birds like singing, and it's, it was like negative I don't know twenty yesterday or maybe it was the day before, and all these birds are just like singing, and so I'm just like looking around, but then I could tell it was more than one because someone would be like way over on one side singing and then I'd hear it way over on the other side singing. So I'm just like, where are these, you know, like, should I walk around the, I thought about walking around the block <laughs> to find the birds. <laughs> it turned into this crazy bird um, to video to find the birds. I didn't because it was so cold, but I, I did contemplate it because I could hear them and I'm like, I know that sound. I know, um, I know where that is. There one other time that was like super distinct for me was after so Andrew had passed away and like we had had we got together at his mom and dad's house to have dinner and we were gonna sit outside and have dinner and I think that was like the first time we'd been there to have dinner since he passed away and you know it which can be like an emotional just you know it's the first time we were there and normally we wouldn't have dinner without him there we sat down outside at the table and all of a sudden a cardinal like swoops down in front of us while we're at the table and it was like did everybody just like see that like as we all just sat down to eat um so that was the other like very at that exact moment that happened okay it kind of just like puts you at ease okay He's here, you know, like he's like saying, hey, guys, I'm glad you're having dinner. (laughs) Yeah. So affirming. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I love is the the music because he was a big music guy. And like, I think I remember the song, but I'll let you tell it when a song came on. You were at home, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess it's happened a couple times. So I have to think about it's happened to me a few times where I'll have my earbuds in listening to music or I had I had music playing when I was on a trip and it was like rain sounds because I, I fall asleep to rain sounds. And I'm like, it's the middle of the night. And all of a sudden I wake up and it wasn't rain sounds anymore. It was Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> and like, I was like looking around my room like, what the? What happened to my rain sounds? And then I was like, kind of annoyed like dang it Andrew like (laughs) I'm trying to sleep kind of like now I'm not gonna fall back asleep like um but that was one of Andrew's favorite songs to sing karaoke to or just like 
sing his own karaoke at home too and dance would be like he could i mean he can sing like word for word and so that song has come on a couple times just you know where you're just like what like or when i'm running and it's like oh i don't want to be running anymore and then that song pops on it's like thanks for the extra push to (laughs) finish finish her out that's the that's one I can think of. I don't know if that's the one you were thinking of. But. Yeah, I feel like it was, well, I, I don't know why I thought it was Marley maybe, but it was at home and you had, yeah, it was something that wasn't, maybe it was Biggie because I know he was a big, oh, my yes. fellow Biggie love yes. lover, but it was something like on the TV or something where it hadn't even been turned on or it was like music shouldn't be playing. Yeah, I f- I'm sure that. Yeah. It's like some days or weeks or months are like kind of a blur, but I'm right. sure that was like, I'm sure that happened. Yeah. Um, because it's just, it's some of that stuff has happened so many times now that I right. kind of like lose track of the ones. I know his mom had one with Bob Marley playing on her. It was like her, she has a nook for like reading, but that can like play music too or something. And all of a sudden that started playing a Bob Marley song just out of nowhere and she was like what so she's had that i don't know if she's had other like experiences but she did have that happen to her so yeah i definitely believe even so we talked about the birds but then the then the whole like numbers signs so i see super into following that and just seeing the repetitive numbers and before andrew passed away i never noticed anything like that and since he passed away, I see all the repetitive numbers, whether it be when I get a coffee and like the total at the uh, till is like 333 or um, my email count or, you know, the time of the day. So there's just like things like that. That's so I started. Now I see it all the time, like 24 seven, like, oh, there it is again. Oh, I know I text you a lot and I'm like, oh, look, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Uh, just like acknowledging like, oh, hey, look what I saw, like, and it's just random, like, number. <laughs> We're constantly doing that. We'll just sit, send a screenshot of 444 oh, four, 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 or, you know. 1111. Yeah. 111. Like, it's so that that's another thing, too, that I, I yeah. see a lot. And for people who don't understand that or think those of us are crazy who do, because <laughs> I know they're for crazy number I, yeah. and bird followers. No. <laughs> Right, this conversation is derailed. <laughs> so next we're going to talk about sparrows. <laughs> but no, for me, the whole number sequence is always very affirming because it, to me, it's very in conjunction with my guides and it typically comes around a time when I need it or when I'm really aligned in what I'm saying, thinking, speaking with like my truth, a lot of times I will see something that repeating number. And so I don't know for any naysayers, uh, I would just encourage you to pay attention to that because we're always getting signals and whether it's you 
believing it's the universe or you feeling it's a strong connection to your angels and your guides or, or a combination of the two, because I use those interchangeably, worth, worth paying attention to. Yeah. Sometimes I notice um, when I'm something like I know I should do or be doing or thinking about and then I see it, but I like don't really want to or I'm just like, Ugh. and then I'll get it and I'll be like, oh, fine. Fine. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> like, it's like, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm yeah. just not there yet. And it's right. like, ugh. it's kind of like, like, yep, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh-huh. I have, I've started to try to get Weston. I was explaining that to my 12 year old and just like the whole, you know, numbers and, and guides and he's not there yet, but now he notices it sometimes. Yeah. So, but I was just explaining to him and he's like, that's just what time you looked at the clock or, you know, like something like that. He's just very like literal like that. And I'm like, okay. So, but I'll point it out to him now a lot just because it bugs him that he's what? Like he's, (laughs) he's not there yet. So I'm working on it. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get him there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One of the things I wanted you to speak to was the discovery you had with the metaphysical and some of the things that you were experiencing and what you learned in your physical body, how that was tied to what was happening underneath. Because I don't think enough people know about, talk about the fact that our emotions very much manifest in the physical. And we've talked about it on a few previous podcasts, but you have such a good real life example to allow people to understand that a little bit better. So if you you want to just speak to that? Then. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about just through my grief process, I held a lot of stuff in. So just internally, right? And not being, not having the opportunities to release that. And so in turn, over the course of, I'd say, weeks, even a couple of months, I started having severe shoulder pain. Like for no reason, I couldn't lift my arm back, like behind in the car, like reach back to grab something. I struggled to take my shirt off or like lift a shirt over my head. My shoulder was just throbbing all the time. And so, you know, I tried like massage, chiropractor, like, you know, just like the basic things to try to get some sort of relief. Like there was no injury, rhyme or reason why my shoulder should be bothering me so much and nothing, nothing worked. It would just be like a constant all the time, like wouldn't go away. So I, well, there's kind of two pieces to it. So then I finally made an appointment with Dr. Gustafson, which I know you know, who is a... He's a wizard. Yeah, basically a wizard, like (laughs) chiropractor. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe like kinesiology, like all those things like, and he knows, I mean, he's incredible. So I made an appointment with him. It took maybe two, three months for me to actually like finally be able to get in with him. And I was like super nervous because I just like, I just was really nervous about like what he was going to say and like, you know, what, you know, what was going on with my shoulder And, you know, we started talking and like he immediately was like, you know, just talking about Andrew and how he passed away. And he's like, 
your grief is stored in your shoulder. Like that's where your grief grief is stored in, in, in your body. And if you don't let that grief out, then, <laughs> you know, this is what's going to happen. So, but so he, you know, worked on me for a while and adjusted me in different places and did all his wizard, <laughs> wizard magic on me. And I was laying on the table and he did this one movement and all of a sudden I burst out crying like uncontrollably out of nowhere sobbing the like hardest I've probably like ever cried my entire life and it just would not stop just like streaming out of me and this was on your shoulder that he was yes. working wow. <laughs> yeah and i i mean and he was i was just like you know telling me just to let it out like let it out and i i mean i was like amazed he it, it was the most incredible experience i've ever had and i was like this is real like things that around you and how your body takes that in and and does to right like what it does and then just needing to be able to get that stuff out or like working on you or focusing on you so yeah it was an incredible experience and so like after that I was still kind of like that was like wild that was crazy like you guys are not gonna believe this like that this this <laughs> this just happened and so I um got this book. The title is Messages from the Body. And so I was just like, so enthralled with like, what do certain things mean? Like if you know, stub your, you know, a hangnail or like, I don't know, just any kind of like, problem you can look up in this book. And so I looked up, right, like, shoulder pain, and, you know, shoulder issues and read, read it. And I was like, wow, this is like, spot on like me and my life right now and the fact that like like he he told me that but I still was kind of like not skeptical but was just right. like what like my grief's in my shoulder and then I like started bawling my eyes out and like you know and it's happened more than once we've had I've had several sessions with him now but there's been it's happened in different ways where just like my emotions come out or I think I know we talked earlier about like he told me I need to be punching a punching bag right like just to like get things out of me and so it's like really have to like for anyone else like grieving like really like pay attention to that stuff and focus on like how you know how to make those pieces better like with internally within you not just like talking to a grief counselor or you know like there's mm. all those things you can do but like your body is telling you it needs help right basically and like a lot of people avoid not avoid that but don't don't really like address it right and then it gets worse and worse and could turn into other other things right and the practice of western medicine is more to manage the symptoms rather than to get to the root of it. And so what I love about this is it really looks at, okay, well, not only do we want to treat like the the absolute pain you have in your shoulder, but we, we want to know what where it's coming from and, and how to work from that. And so I love that part of, about it. One of the things I've learned with 
the metaphysical and just my own, my own makeup is that I store a lot of emotions in my solar plexus. And so if I'm not doing things to move my body where I'm moving, like yoga is really important for me. Singing is actually really important for me and speaking. So just doing this podcast is like super important to move emotions and big feelings through my body. And I think it's something that all of us don't pay enough attention to. I sure didn't until I learned more about it. And I had several intuitives let me know that you're storing a lot in here and you have so much to get out. And it's it's going to start manifesting physically if it hasn't already, mm-hmm. because it needs to move through you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I that My like kind of other piece that I had with it was after Andrew passed away, I like all the time felt like I couldn't breathe. Like I just like couldn't breathe. And I had this, like, I just need, like, it sounds weird. Like I needed to run. Like I just needed to run, which seems like the opposite of like, I can't breathe. So I need to run, (laughs) you know, and then I really won't be able to breathe. But I started a month or two after Andrew passed away, then I started running a lot, way more than I'd ever run before because it just gave me this, like, I feel like I can breathe now. And there'll be, there's many times on my run where while I was running, I would just start like sobbing on my runs and I still keep running. I didn't like stop, but I would just like, it would just be like coming out. And I was like that, I just, that was how I like was releasing it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that amount of release, you did start running a ton after he passed and like you've continued to run. And that amount of like inertia when just sitting and not allowing those things to move through you. I mean, the fact that you were crying on runs and everything, that's amazing and obviously so therapeutic. My sister has that book and I know we've referenced it with her a lot. Is that where you've Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was doing that nutrition class with uh, Chris, and yes. which I highly recommend everybody to the nutrition class with Chris. And within that nutrition class, sometimes these, you know, topics would come up. So just talking about my shoulder or, you know, other people's things. And so Chris would reference this book. And that's how I got like, I need this book. I need to understand like what's happening with my shoulder and like when I can't breathe and just like wanting to know and like acknowledge like okay like where does this stemming from right and and how yeah. can i uh, fix it i don't want to put a band-aid on you know on it i want to get to the root of the problem and yeah i'll give another example so when whitney was putting her book together she was starting to get nervous around like the kickstarter and putting herself out there and we were going to be making some videos and and she was going to have to be on camera and, and ask for people's support. And that, you know, for adults, that comes with nerves. So obviously for, she was nine at the time, that comes with a lot of nerves. But right around that time, she got a wart on her finger. And it, I can't remember which finger it was, but my sister has the book at her house. So we told Chris that Whitney had a wart on her finger and she's like, okay, I'm going to look in the book. So she looks in the book and it was for this specific finger too. And it was all about fear around creativity and like putting yourself out there, like literally the exact stuff she was going through. And that is one example of, I have countless, you know, that we have just experienced over the last several years, but it 
has reframed the way I approach and think about illness or ailments that pop up. Mm-hmm. And rather than get into like victimhood of like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me about like, you know, something physical on the body. It's like, okay, my body's trying to tell me something. And now that I have this information, what am I going to do about it? And it's super empowering to like have that at your disposal and be able to know like, yeah, there's, and I don't think I ever heard about the Whitney with the wart. Like Isn't that wild? Yeah. That's. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, because I'm such a like English geek, I also can't get over just the metaphor of the fact that like that you had this big shoulder pain, like you literally went from having a partner to divide up all of the duties to carrying everything yourself and the weight of all of that, like it, that's wild. And it's no wonder that you were having such bad shoulder pain. Yeah, that, so I'm going to read this passage in the book about the shoulder problems because I feel like basically is almost like exactly what you just said, which I thought was, So shoulder problems says everything always falls on my shoulder. The shoulder reflects our feelings and thoughts about what we were doing and how we're doing it, as well as our attitudes about how we're being related to and about our responsibilities. There's the fear of heaviness of life, and they feel that they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. They have a feeling that the burdens they shoulder are not their own. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So pretty much. Oh my gosh. That's everything that happened and went straight into my, into my shoulder. The good news is, is my shoulder doesn't bother me anymore. So I'm, I've gotten that out. Um, so. Wow. So powerful. One of the things I really wanted to talk about was the conversations that we'd have over and over again about you know, I mentioned it at the beginning before we went into all this, but how people can be and typically are so awkward with grief. And I'm throwing myself under the bus with this one, by the way. And I think, yes, it is part of our culture's just uncomfortability with vulnerability. Being vulnerable has never been an issue for me. It's, I think, grief is separate from that. But for people who are already uncomfortable being vulnerable, that adds a whole nother layer. I think what really underlies the awkwardness with grief is a, a desire for everybody to want people around them to feel good. I think it comes from a good place, but it often causes us to not be as aware that we may be stifling the grief process or we might come off as we're trying to move someone through it more quickly when they need to just be and be processing it on their own. So what are some things that you needed to hear, still need to hear, needed to hear in the beginning, may have heard, may have not heard. You might have an example of, I really wish I heard this, but I didn't, or this was helpful when I would hear these kinds of things. And it could be in conjunction with what did people do for you that really helped as well? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, I think where it's, tricky for me is just because everything was so delayed with my grieving, you know, process that it just everything kind of got so, I don't know, not messed up, but just for me, how I was dealing with it, and everyone else in their space of 
not being able to see me or not, you know, being able to hug or that. It just made things much more complex than it needed to be. I think when you haven't dealt with grief, talking to someone who is grieving is super uncomfortable and super awkward. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to talk about it. But I think for the person who's going through the grief, it doesn't feel awkward or uncomfortable. I never saw anyone else as being awkward or uncomfortable about it. I think because I now know or knew what grief felt like versus before I didn't. Does that make sense? Like you don't know the depth of what it feels like. And so everyone else feels super awkward and uncomfortable or doesn't know what to do. But for the person grieving, it's it's okay. You know, not it's okay, but like, it's okay. Like I never felt like, I never felt like you were awkward with it, which I'm sure you, but you felt that way. And I could have said the same thing if prior to having, you know, been in this space that I was the worst with people. And if someone passed away, like a grandparent or friend or brother or this, like, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't even think sometimes I still know, right? Like, because everyone is going through different in different ways. Like, I like talking about Andrew and telling stories about Andrew, but it may make other people sad or they don't want to talk about it because it makes them feel sad. So that's why I feel like there's just such a fine line between where people are in their process right? of, of if they want to hear stories or listen to songs. Like songs, I feel like is much more of a trigger for me and making me feel sad than it was like telling stories or talk, you know, talking about it. I think what helped me the most, and I think this could be for other people too, is like doers versus asking what you need help with. So people that just do, they don't ask, they don't, it could be anything like just calling to see how you are or let's go to lunch or dropping something on, you know, just like doing of anything versus asking what you need, I think, because half of the time it'll be like, I I don't need anything or I'm fine or, you know, like you don't want to burden other people. So even though deep down inside, you really like, I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to just come sit over here or lay in bed or watch a movie or, you know, so I think anything that can just be like doing without, you know, like, it's like do and ask for forgiveness later kind of thing. Like, even if they don't (laughs) say they don't want help, it's, I think that is a big thing, but that's also a hard thing to navigate too, right? Is how comfortable you are with the person. But yeah, there were so many people after Andrew passed away that people that I don't even talk to on a regular basis or things that just like showed up and dropped something off or this or that where I was like so like this is crazy like you know there's just a lot of people out there that are more doers than than not and I was just like floored at, at the amount of like love and support and extended love and support from people just doing things when I was like I, yeah, I. it's such a good point because I think for a lot of people, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. 
But then when you ask the person, it's like, well, they're not going to necessarily tell you because they don't even know where to start. They right. feel, you know, you probably feel so overwhelmed with everything. That's like, I don't know. Can I give you like 50 tasks <laughs> that I, <laughs> I right. used to have shared with my partner and now they're all on me? Right. Like, you know, it's like, where do you even begin? And I was thinking about that and how I bet our love languages really play a part into how people respond to grief too, because, you know, my love languages are physical touch and words of affirmation. It's how I show love and I receive love. I probably say more acts of service now that I'm older and have kids and I I just want to help around the house. (laughs) But I think it's, if that's how you typically show love is like through words and you don't have words for grief. I mean, I I think that's when it can be really difficult to know how to navigate that. And so that's when all of us need to like tap into those other parts. Like there are so many other ways to show love, doing an act of service, spending quality time, because that's the one part that, you know, there's, there's really nothing you can say that's going to alleviate anything, especially coming from somebody who hasn't been through it before. You're probably not going to say the right thing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Because there's no relating. Yeah. And, and I think people, you know, saying I'm sorry, or the, you still feel like loved and support, you know, like, like back to, it didn't feel like weird for like, I'm sure it felt like you weren't, nobody was doing anything when you're just like saying that. And it's like, no, you still appreciate it. Like, you know, like, thank you, you know, this and that, you know, these people are there for you. But I definitely think the love language thing is probably plays like a huge mirrors that and like grief and how you, you know, want people to right to help to help in yes. those different ways. So access service, whether that is one of your love languages or not, for all of you listening, <laughs> that, is, that is one to really tap into when you're trying to take care of uh, yeah. someone who's grieving. Well, and I think it's just because they are so, you are so overwhelmed. You don't know which way is up. Like, should I get out of bed today? Should I make my kids food? Which I still hate making my kids food just in general. <laughs> just throw it out there if anyone else wants to cook for them. I know, I know. Well, we were, we, I know we did a food train for a long time, but I think it got where you were like, okay, like this is a lot of food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's nice, like when it, it was amazing. Like, yeah, no, it was, that was amazing just to have even when Andrew was so sick and I was taking care of him, right? Yes. Just to know, like, but when you went through COVID and the kids were home and it was like, I have to feed these kids three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still like that on the weekends. Why do you guys eat so much? No. <laughs> I know. Just wait till they get older. Right? Yeah. But that's where it's just different. It's different for everyone. Right. Yeah. I think just doing anything to help, whether it's just showing up and or you know dropping something off or just like being there I think is like the biggest thing yeah I definitely still struggle with odd night times like not nighttime but like evenings especially if the kids are like in activities or gone right it's like that was my time like Andrew and I'd sit and talk or like watch tv or you know this and I those are I feel like still my hardest days because you know we're just so busy during the day 
running around and then at night when you finally sit and can like like let you know let down a little bit and process like oh i don't have anyone to talk to you can only read for so <laughs> so long or, or watch shows by yourself for so long so then i i send a significant amount of text messages <laughs> to <laughs> Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> Pretty much, it's like that because that's just my, you know, like yeah, that's how you're I need to talk to somebody, whether it be on the phone or via text message. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, still, still kind of my harder parts of the day, but trying to fill it with you know trying trying to do different things now versus just like the norm, sitting and watching TV or sitting and. Well, you're fantastic at creating memories with your kids. Like on the weekends, you guys are off doing something all the time. It's almost like it's too many things. <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired just listening just, to your... I think last night I'm like, I am just going to sit here for the next 40 minutes until I have to go pick someone up and I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> yes, I still have those. Yeah, we try to get out and do you know, fun stuff too. But yeah, we're, I mean, I think we're just busy. It's like that busy time of life. You're not home either. Like you're well, never home either. This, this month and this kickoff to 2023 has been a little nutty, but this coming weekend we're here and I am like beyond excited to just, I mean, we still have our Christmas tree up. Okay. <laughs> As I'm motioning to it uh, next to Brooke in my defense, we take off all of the Christmas decorations and we make it a New Year's tree for New Year's. And then we have it like winter. I always like to have it up for my birthday still, which is January 5th. So we're a little past that. Maybe I should just throw some red on there and leave it up for Valentine's Day. I was just, I forgot about Valentine's Day. I was just going to say, you might as well just get little like plastic eggs and like hang Easter eggs on it and make it an Easter tree. <sighs> Brock, okay. I really am taking it down this weekend, but this is the first weekend I've been home in 2023 that I can do it. So Gary could have, I suppose, but I'm particular I like about it. the bulbs. I actually like didn't notice it when I walked in here and sat down and that you were just pointing out your tree is here. And I was like, didn't even like phase me that your tree was still up which normally i feel like i'd be like why is your tree up well but- you probably nothing probably phases you when you walk in here like <laughs> oh yeah that's pretty normal for lens <laughs> um i have to pause and point out the fact that a butterfly just flew by the window Stop. over your head i swear to god it's you guys, freezing outside it is i'm freaking out it is seven degrees and it was a butterfly and it just went we should open the shades and see if it's still fluttering around. That is wild. Yeah, that's crazy. It has to be yeah, freezing to death. What a love. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that's super just helpful for everyone. Just be a doer. Go any way you can might alleviate the like to-do lists and the, and the tasks you have to do. Because just functioning, getting out of bed, especially in those early months can be just so taxing yeah i feel like in the later months it's just even just like being included in things even if you don't want you know might not end up doing it or this or that it's just that i think it's just that depends on if it's a husband or spouse or versus like a sister you know that aspect might differ a little bit too but yeah 
Yeah. Is there anything you wish like people, everyone knew or understood more when it comes to the journey through grief? Because I know we've had these conversations before. You've shared some poignant like things on social media. That's like, yes, this, this is it, you know, and it's really hard to articulate for anybody who hasn't experienced that kind of grief. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just back to you're always going to have it. It's never going to go away. Right. So there's different things that trigger, right being sad or being happy or like throughout that process. So in 10 years, something might, a story or something might come up and cause you to kind of go into like an emotional, like downward spiral, right? Of just like, and I think regardless of say you go to therapy or do meditation or work out or however like you process your grief, that's always going to be there. Like it's not for a person like it's never going to be gone and so just people understanding that you're always going to have sad moments and you're always going to have happy moments and right just different things may trigger someone to become sad or upset for no rhyme or reason either it could be sometimes I cry at like the stupidest things like where I'm really like this is what I'm going to cry. Like, (laughs) this is what's going to make me like over emotional. And so I just think it's right as a constant, it's always going to be there. So just supporting that person through like that difficult, you know, whatever be like a patch or day or, you know, time, because they are going to have it forever in different shapes and forms. So I think that that's, that's a big, like, you know, that's a big one for me anyway, right? It's it's always going to be there and and I post things sometimes like more for awareness. It's not that I'm actually like sad right now or feeling this. It's just like, oh, this is very I feel like this is an important thing for other people to know because you don't know until you know, right? right? And so right. I think sometimes when I do that, people take that as I'm sad or upset or, you know, and I'm not necessarily feeling that. It's just more like, oh, like people will reach out like, are you or or comment like, I'm so sorry or this or, you know, and so it's it's like, okay, you know, like so nice. But also it's it may just be like, this is really good for an awareness perspective (laughs) for others to know. Like, well, and I also wanted to ask if it's kind of like, you know, when I would early on in our marriage and I would vent to Gary about a problem I was having, like he'd immediately go into problem solving mode. Like, yeah. (laughs) Fixer. Like, all right, let's fix this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's definitely a personality characteristic and it's also kind of such a dude thing because they're more about, I I, want to be helpful and solve problems as opposed to, I'm just going to be lending an ear. Yeah. And so with grief, when you're like talking about things, do you find that people are mostly just listening and allowing you to process and be there for you? Do you find people are trying to be fixers? And what, what do you, in that moment, like, what do you need to hear? Because I know we've had that, we've had these conversations before where it's like, 
okay, we're going to get you off the couch. I'm coming over. We're going to go for a walk, you know, stuff like that when you're having a, like a really sad day. And so like, is that wrong? <laughs> By, no, like, no, you know, like, <laughs> nothing, I, see, that's the thing. Nothing is wrong, right? right. There's no right. like I mean, right or wrong way. And yeah. like, cause I want you to be able to like, just sit in your emotions and feel. Right. And yeah, I want you to know, like, I'm here for you. Let's go release some endorphins, like come cry to me yeah. on a walk, all of that. So yeah. I think like doing things like that, like, oh, let's take a walk. Like you need a break or like, let's, you know, is, is all good. Like fixing things. Right. I think those are all like positive things. And I think there's sometimes people will say, I don't want to do anything right now. And you just need to, you know, leave it at that. But I think you bring up a really good point of just like, letting them let the emotions out rather right whether it be like the right or wrong place like that should be happening I definitely I personally definitely have a lot of build up <laughs> inside right just because of the process of not being have have the celebration for Andrew for so long and not being able to have a funeral everything just like so built up inside right so I think I'm definitely still going through the phase of like needing to get needing to get my emotions out in any way or form. So I think just being there and listening is always like a helpful, helpful for other people instead of just letting them be in their own thoughts, right? Like, right. right. <laughs> or, you know, thinking about like, sometimes I used to replay in my head, like Andrew being in the hospital and passing away or replay like certain like parts of that. But it is definitely good to like talk about them too, right? Because that releases it out and you don't you don't talk focus in on some of that a lot right it's just you focus in on that you're sad and he died not like the specific things that like made you so sad or made you so upset right it's the holding it in that yes dr g told me i need to do more more like (laughs) kickboxing like punching that's right (laughs) punching things or or just like yelling and screaming when I'm running and I'm like oh gosh I'm definitely not that kind of person you're gonna be be like Phoebe on friends when she's running through Central Park (laughs) that's not running (laughs) no or if you see me run by and I just start like screaming just (laughs) no I'm trying to follow his his rules just to like it's not good to hold it in I would totally take a kickboxing class with you can we do that somewhere? Uh, I used to do kickboxing at Farrell's. Well, we yeah. Ha- I have a bag in my basement. You can just come over and... <laughs> yeah, you do that at... Okay. Yeah, come over and beat the... Sometimes, actually, when, like, if the kids are really frustrated, I'll, I'll, you know, really mad about something or upset about something, and I'm like, just go hit the kickboxing bag for a while. Weston yeah. did it once, and I think it actually did help him. I do that with Garrison. I'll just put my hands up as moving targets and try yeah. to get him to hit him when he's mad because... You know, you can see in kids like the biological difference of when he's upset, he goes to like physicality, like he clenches his fists and it's like it wells up in him. Whereas with Whitney, it's it's like sadness and tears, you know, and so. I'm like, okay, it's not bad to like whatever you're feeling and you're feeling like you want to get physical, but now you need to channel it into something. <laughs> channel it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'll put my hands up, I'll move them around and uh, it works pretty well. Yeah. That's, see, that's a good idea. I'll have to, I'll have to remember to remind 
the kids to do that more often. I think I'm a mix of it. I'm like crying in tears and then I'm like, ah, like yeah. I need to punch something. This is like not anything related to anything, but we <laughs> were watching the one and only Ivan. Was that like last night, I think? Because we've been reading the, I've been reading the book out loud to Hayden and she's seen the movie before, but we just decided like, let's watch the movie. And so we're watching it and it gets to like to the very end and I'm sitting on the couch and Weston's watching too. I'm literally just like sobbing uncontrollably and Hayden's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Like, she's like, are you seriously crying? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> You're crying. I know. I, like, could hold it in. I'm like, well, it's so sad. He's, like, going to his jungle home now. And he's, like, you know, <laughs> could not get it together. <laughs> Just let it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In whatever form it comes out. Yeah, I just, I needed a good cry about Ivan. I yeah. feel better now yeah. about his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am, I feel like I, I cry a lot. And it's, sometimes it's happy tears. Sometimes it's, you know, some sort of heartfelt thing. A lot of those heartfelt things on, on Instagram, that's like, I started crying at this one the other day. This kid couldn't, he was in a karate class. He couldn't jump over the thing. And all of his whole team like came up to him and surrounded him and had his arms around him. And then his next try, he got over and did it. And it just speaks to like community and everybody rallying together, which kind of wraps up exactly what we're talking about. And being in this village that we live in, which the best village ever, the best. Yeah. I think actually a lot about that. Like we, we moved in, not, too far before you like 2017 maybe and loved our neighborhood and so and i i think like a lot about it was part of our path or plan right that we were to move into this neighborhood and that you know andrew wasn't going to be here anymore and surrounded by just had we not lived in this neighborhood it would have been such a different <laughs> grief process just in general like even with even with covid right we're such a close neighborhood and everyone is there for each other and you meet certain people like are in your life you know for a reason and it was just like part of this plan or the path that like we were to be here to be around these people to help love and you know support us without Andrew here. Even we came home from the hospital and all these hearts were taped. <laughs> no, I'm crying again. All these hearts were taped on our door um, just for him. And oh, it was so, it was crazy. Like it was, yeah, so loved and supported. Yeah. It's, it's such an incredible community and it goes back to how humans were designed to live in a very communal it takes a village. Everybody looks out for each other. We've moved away from that so much in our society. And there's this like push to be so independent. And I think it's so backwards because that's not how we were designed to be. People used to carry their babies on them for like the first like three, four years of their life. I mean, it was so much longer. And so the the parent and the child was so connected. And then you had all of these, you know, the aunties, uncles, the grandparents all living together. And 
you know, we're all so separated now. And I mean, especially now that I'm, I'm working from home, if I didn't have everybody here, <laughs> I mean, I, I would be, you know, it's like when it, we used to live in, uh, in Blaine at our old house and I would go in the summer, I would go to Target and just like push the kids around in the cart and like strike up random conversations with people. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had no sense of community there. Yeah. And it makes such a difference in overall happiness. Yeah. You can't even walk around the block now without it taking like an hour. Well, in the summer. Right. Because it's like chit chat, you know, chit chatting yep. with everyone. So, which is so great. It's like, ah, I just need to get around the block sometimes. I know. I know. It's so great. Well, that was so good. We Yeah, I feel like there was so much I didn't cover, but like so much we I know. talked about. <laughs> I know. Well, we could yeah, go so far into this topic, but I really I really wanted to have you share what it's like walking in those shoes and what is helpful. You know, I think that's such a it's such a thing with so so many of us struggle with is like what can I do what do I say? How do I just be there? And so to reiterate all of that, like be a doer, provide some sort of service to someone who's grieving so that you're just taking a little bit off their plate, spend time with them, you know? Yeah. Be a listener. Be a listener. Mm -hmm. Get that emotions out. Yeah. I wish that I could have done that in a better way had the time been different, right? Not COVID that we could have had a celebration for Andrew, had a funeral, like get all of that out, you know, in a more. Yeah. Cause what his celebration ended up being how long after? Was... Two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Two years. So that's a long, you know, mm -hmm. it's a long time. I think I went through a process of every time I saw a person, that I hadn't seen since he passed away, I would cry and get really sad. Like it was like, I would do that, but it was so drawn out. Like it would be every yes. single time, like I see someone cause he didn't see, see anyone for so long. So it was such a different, just such a different way, right. That you, you dealt with that. But there's also too, just like weird things where, because you were stuck in your house and we couldn't do anything. Like I had this like, I'm not going to move, obviously, from my like community. And I'm so lucky that we can still, you know, be where we are. But I needed everything to be different. I needed to not walk downstairs and have it be the couch that Andrew used to, to sleep on. Like, I personally just needed to be not reminded, you know, of like the same space. So, you know, started that process of like painting, <laughs> like, you know, changing little things because I just needed like not a reminder that, you know, he wasn't there just within the house. Yeah. I mean, because uh, both of those things bumping into people who ha you hadn't seen before and then and the just the landscape of the house, it's just a reminder of what was and how it's, yeah, how it's shifted. <sighs> I mean, this was so good. Yeah. Thank you for letting me, you're having me share <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and being vulnerable and sharing your process. You know, I'm just, I'm so proud of you for a million different. <laughs> no, I'm proud of you. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm not going to cry. Nope. Maybe I am. Hang on. But I really, I really am just, you know, so many people say like, they're so proud of people's strength and whatever. Um, 
I'm so... Shit. <laughs> I'm so proud of your your vulnerability and letting us in and sharing and yeah just being you i love you so much i love you too <sighs> okay good <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>